Section 40 of The Letters of Mark Twain Complete. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Letters of Mark Twain Complete by Mark Twain. Volume 4. Chapter 38. Letters 1899 to Howells and others. Vienna. London. A Summer in Sweden. The beginning of 1899 found the Clemens family still in Vienna, occupying handsome apartments at the Hotel Krantz. Their rooms, so often thronged with gay and distinguished people, were sometimes called the Second Embassy. Clemens himself was the central figure of these assemblies. Of all the foreign visitors in the Austrian capital, he was the most notable. Everywhere he was surrounded by a crowd of listeners. His sayings and opinions were widely quoted. A project for world disarmament promulgated by the Tsar of Russia would naturally interest Mark Twain, and when William T. Stead of the Review of Reviews cabled him for an opinion on the matter, he sent at first a brief word, and on the same day followed it with more extended comment. The great war which has since devastated the world gives to this incident an added interest. To William T. Stead in London. Number 1. Vienna, January 9. Dear Mr. Stead, The Tsar is ready to disarm. I am ready to disarm collect the others it should not be much of a task now mark twain to william t stead in london number two dear mr stead peace by compulsion that seems a better idea than the other peace by persuasion has a pleasant sound but i think we should not be able to work it we should have to tame the human race first, and history seems to show that that cannot be done. Can't we reduce the armaments little by little, on a pro-rata basis, by a concert of the powers? Can't we get four great powers to agree to reduce their strength ten percent a year, and thrash the others into doing likewise? For, of course, we cannot expect all of the powers to be in their right minds at one time. It has been tried. We are not going to try to get all of them to go into the scheme peaceably, are we? In that case, I must withdraw my influence, because, for business reasons, I must preserve the outward signs of sanity. Four is enough if they can be securely harnessed together. They can compel peace, and peace without compulsion would be against nature and not operative. A sliding scale, a reduction of 10% a year, has a sort of plausible look, and I am willing to try that if three other powers will join. I feel sure that the armaments are now many times greater than necessary for the requirements of either peace or war. Take wartime, for instance. Suppose circumstances made it necessary for us to fight another Waterloo, and that it would do what it did before settle a large question and bring peace 
I will guess that 400,000 men were on hand at Waterloo. I have forgotten the figures. In five hours, they disabled 50,000 men. It took them that tedious, long time because the firearms delivered only two or three shots a minute. But we would do the work now as it was done at Omdurman, with shower guns, raining 600 balls a minute. Four men to a gun, is that the number? A hundred and fifty shots a minute per man. Thus, a modern soldier is a hundred forty-nine Waterloo soldiers in one. Thus also, we can now retain one man out of each a hundred fifty in service, disband the others, and fight our Waterloos just as effectively as we did eighty-five years ago. We should do the same beneficent job with 2,800 men now that we did with 400,000 then. The Allies could take 1,400 of the men and give Napoleon 1,400 and then whip him. But instead, what do we see? In wartime in Germany, Russia, and France, taken together, we find about 8 million men equipped for the field. Each man represents 149 Waterloo men in usefulness and killing capacity. Altogether, they constitute about 350 million Waterloo men, and there are not quite that many grown males of the human race now on this planet. Thus, we have this insane fact, that whereas those three countries could arm 18,000 men with modern weapons and make them the equals of three million men of Napoleon's day, and accomplish with them all necessary war work, they waste their money and their prosperity creating forces of their populations and piling together 349,982,000 extra Waterloo equivalents which they would have no sort of use for if they would only stop drinking and sit down and cipher a little. Perpetual peace we cannot have on any terms, I suppose but I hope we can gradually reduce the war strength of Europe till we get it down to where it ought to be, 20,000 men properly armed. Then we can have all the peace that is worth while, and when we want a war, anybody can afford it. Vienna, January 9. P.S. In the article I sent, the figures are wrong. 350 million ought to be 450 million. 349,982,000 ought to be 449,982,000, and the remark about the sum being a little more than the present number of males on the planet, that is wrong, of course. It represents really one and a half the existing males. Now and then, one of Mark Twain's old comrades still reached out to him across the years. He always welcomed such letters, they came as from a lost land of romance, recalled always with tenderness. He sent light, chafing replies, but they were never without an undercurrent of affection. To Major Jack Downen in Middleport, Ohio. Hotel Crantz, Vienne. I. Neue Mart, 6, February 26, 1899. Dear Major, no, it was to Bixby that I was apprentice. He was to teach me the river for a certain specified sum. I have forgotten what it was, 
but I paid it. I steered a trip for Bart Bowen of Keokuk on the A.T. Lacey, and I was partner with Will Bowen on the A.B. Chambers one trip, and with Sam Bowen a whole summer on a small Memphis packet. The newspaper report you sent me is incorrect. Bixby is not 67, he is 97. I am 63 myself, and I couldn't talk plain and had just begun to walk when I apprenticed myself to Bixby, who was then passing himself off for 57, and successfully too, for he always looked 60 or 70 years younger than he really was. At that time he was piloting the Mississippi on a Potomac commission granted him by George Washington, who was a personal friend of his before the Revolution. He has piloted every important river in America on that commission. He has also used it as a passport in Russia. I have never revealed these facts before. I notice, too, that you are deceiving the people concerning your age. The printed portrait which you have enclosed is not a portrait of you, but a portrait of me when I was nineteen. I remember very well when it was common for people to mistake Bixby for your grandson. Is it spreading, I wonder, this disposition of pilots to renew their youth by doubtful methods? Beck, Jolly, and Joe Bryan, they probably go to Sunday school now, but it will not deceive. Yes, it is as you say. All of the procession but a fraction has passed. It is time for us all to fall in. Sincerely yours, S. L. Clemens. To W. D. Howells in New York, Hotel Crantz, V. N. I. Neuer Markt, six, April two, ninety-nine. Dear Howells, I am waiting for the April Harper, which is about due now. Waiting and strongly interested. You are old enough to be a weary man with paling interests, but you do not show it. You do your work in the same old delicate and delicious and forceful and searching and perfect way. I don't know how you can, but I suspect. I suspect that to you there is still dignity in human life, and that man is not a joke, a poor joke, the poorest that was ever contrived. Since I wrote my Bible last year, What is Man, which Mrs. Clemens loathes and shudders over and will not listen to the last half nor allow me to print any part of it, man is not to me the respectworthy person he was before, and so I have lost my pride in him and can't write gaily nor praisefully about him any more. And I don't intend to try. I mean to go on writing, for that is my best amusement but I shan't print much, for I don't wish to be scalped any more than another. April 5. The Harper has come. I have been in Leipzig with your party, and then went on to Carlsbad and saw Mrs. Marsh's encounter with the swine, with the toothpick and the other manners, their silver wedding journey. At this point, Jean carried the magazine away. Is it imagination or... Anyway, 
I seem to get furtive and fleeting glimpses which I take to be the weariness and condolence of age, indifference to sights and things once brisk with interest, tasteless stale stuff which used to be champagne, the boredom of travel, the secret sigh behind the public smile, the private what in hell did I come for? But maybe that is your art maybe that is what you intend the reader to detect and think he has made a columbus discovery then it is well done perfectly done i wrote my last travel book following the equator in hell but i let on the best i could that it was an excursion through heaven some day i will read it and if its lying cheerfulness fools me then I shall believe it fooled the reader. How I did loathe that journey round the world, except the sea part and India. Evening. My tail hangs low. I thought I was a financier, and I bragged to you. I am not bragging now. The stock which I sold at such a fine profit early in January has never ceased to advance and is now worth sixty thousand dollars more than i sold it for i feel just as if i had been spending twenty thousand dollars a month and i feel reproach for this showy and unbecoming extravagance last week i was going down with the family to budapest to lecture and to make a speech at a banquet just as i was leaving here i got a telegram from london asking for the speech for a new york paper I, this is strictly private, sent it, and then I didn't make that speech, but another of a quite different character, a speech born of something which the introducer said. If that said speech got cabled and printed, you needn't let on that it was never uttered. That was a darling night, and those Hungarians were lively people. We were there a week and had a great time. At the banquet I heard their chief orator make a most graceful and easy and beautiful and delicious speech. I never heard one that enchanted me more, although I did not understand a word of it, since it was in Hungarian. But the art of it, it was superlative. They are wonderful English scholars, these people. My lecture audience, all Hungarians, understood me perfectly to judge by the effects. The English clergyman told me that in his congregation are a hundred fifty young English women who earn their living teaching their language, and that there are others besides these. For sixty cents a week the telephone reads the morning news to you at home, gives you the stocks and markets at noon, gives you lessons in three foreign languages during three hours gives you the afternoon telegrams and at night the concerts and operas of course even the clerks and seamstresses and bootblacks and everybody else are subscribers correction mrs clemens says it is sixty cents a month i am renewing my youth i made four speeches at one banquet here last saturday night and i've been to a lot of football matches Jean has been in here examining the poll for the immortals, literature, March 24, in the hope, I think, 
that at last she should find me at the top and you in second place and if that is her ambition she has suffered disappointment for the third time and will never fare any better i hope for you are where you belong by every right she wanted to know who it is that does the voting but i was not able to tell her nor when the election will be completed and decided next morning i have been reading the morning paper i do it every morning well knowing that i shall find in it the usual depravities and basenesses and hypocrisies and cruelties that make up civilization and cause me to put in the rest of the day pleading for the damnation of the human race i cannot seem to get my prayers answered yet i do not despair escape from five o'clock tea Shh. oh the american girl in europe often she is creditable but sometimes she is just shocking this one a minute ago nineteen fat face raspy voice put ways the self-complacency of god and with it all a silly laugh embarrassed which kept breaking out through her chatter all along whereas there was no call for it for she said nothing that was funny s'pose so many have told you how they enjoyed your chapter on the german tongue it's bringing coals to newcastle Kee say anything about it Kee spent my vacation in russia and saw tolstoy he said it made me shudder april twelve jean has been in here with a copy of literature complaining that i am again behind you in the election of the ten consecrated members and seems troubled about it and not quite able to understand it but i have explained to her that you are right there on the ground inside the pool booth keeping game and that that makes a large difference in these things thirteenth i have been to the neustaustellung with mrs clemens the office of art seems to be to grovel in the dirt before emperors and this and that and the other damn breed of priests yours ever mark howells and clemens were corresponding regularly again though not with the frequency of former years perhaps neither of them was bubbling over with things to say perhaps it was becoming yearly less attractive to pick up a pen and write and then of course there was always the discouragement of distance once howells wrote i know this will find you in austria before i can well turn round but i must make believe you are in kennebunkport before i can begin it and in another letter it ought to be as pleasant to sit down and write to you as to sit down and talk to you but it isn't the only reason why i write is that i want another letter from you and because i have a whole afternoon for the job i have the whole of every afternoon for i cannot work later than lunch i am fagged by that time and sunday is the only day that brings unbearable leisure i hope you will be in new york another winter then i shall know what to do with these foretastes of eternity clemens usually wrote at considerable length for he had a good deal to report of his life in the austrian capital now drawing to a close to w d howes in new york 
May 12, 1899 Dear Howells, 7.15 p.m. T. for Mr. and Mrs. Tower, who are leaving for Russia, just over. Nice people and rather creditable to the human race. Mr. and Mrs. Tower, the new minister and his wife, the secretary of legation, the naval and military attache, several English ladies, an Irish lady, a Scotch lady, a particularly nice young Austrian baron who wasn't invited but came and went supposing it was the usual thing and wandered at the unusually large gathering, two other Austrians and several Americans who were also in his fix, the old Baronine Langman, the only Austrian invited, the rest were Americans. It made just a comfortable crowd in our parlor, with an overflow into Clara's through the folding doors. I don't enjoy teas, and am daily spared them by Mrs. Clemens, but this was a pleasant one. I had only one accident. The old Baronine Langman is a person I have a strong fondness for, for we violently disagree on some subjects, and as violently agree on others. For instance, she is temperance, and I am not. She has religious beliefs and feelings, and I have none. She's a Methodist. She is a Democrat, and so am I. She is woman's rights, and so am I. She is laborers' rights, and approves trades unions and strikes, and that is me, and so on. After she was gone, an English lady whom I greatly like, began to talk sharply against her for contributing money, time, labor, and public expression of favor to a strike that is on, for an eleven-hour day, in the silk factories of Bohemia, and she caught me unprepared and betrayed me into over-warm argument. I am sorry, for she didn't know anything about the subject, and I did, and one should be gentle with the ignorant, for they are the chosen of God. The new minister is a good man, but out of place. The secretary of legation is a good man, but out of place. The attaché is a good man, but out of place. Our government for displacement beats the new white star ship, and her possible is 17,200 tons. May 13, 4 p.m. A beautiful English girl and her handsome English husband came up and spent the evening, and she certainly is a bird. English parents. She was born and reared in Romania, and couldn't talk English till she was eight or ten. She came up clothed like the sunset, and was a delight to look at. Romanian costume. Twenty-four young people have gone out to the Semerang today, and tomorrow and Mrs. Clemens and an English lady and old Leschetitsky and his wife have gone to chaperone them. They gave me a chance to go, but there are no snow mountains that I want to look at. Three hours out, three hours back, and sit up all night watching the young people dance, yelling conversationally and being yelled at conversationally by new acquaintances through the deafening music about how I like Vienna, and if it's my first visit, and how long we expect to stay, and did I see the foot-washing, 
and am I writing a book about Vienna and so on? The terms seem too severe. Snow mountains are too dear at the price. For several years I have been intending to stop writing for print as soon as I could afford it. At last I can afford it and have put the pot-boiler pen away. What I have been wanting is a chance to write a book without reserves, a book which should take account of no one's feelings and no one's prejudices, opinions, beliefs, hopes, illusions, delusions. A book which should say my say, right out of my heart, in the plainest language and without a limitation of any sort. I judge that that would be an unimaginable luxury, heaven on earth. It is under way now, and it is a luxury, an intellectual drunk. Twice I didn't start it right, and got pretty far in, both times, before I found it out. But I am sure it is started right this time. It is in tail form. I believe I can make it tell what I think of man, and how he is constructed and what a shabby, poor, ridiculous thing he is, and how mistaken he is in his estimate of his character, and powers, and qualities, and his place among the animals. So far, I think I am succeeding. I let the madam into the secret day before yesterday, and locked the doors and read to her the opening chapters. She said, It is perfectly horrible and perfectly beautiful within the due limits of modesty. That is what I think. I hope it will take me a year or two to write it, and that it will turn out to be the right vessel to contain all the abuse I am planning to dump into it. Yours ever, Mark. The story mentioned in the foregoing, in which Mark Twain was to give his opinion of man, was The Mysterious Stranger. It was not finished at the time, and its closing chapter was not found until after his death. Six years later, 1916, it was published serially in Harper's Magazine and in book form. The end of May found the Clemens party in London, where they were received and entertained with all the hospitality they had known in earlier years. Clemens was too busy for letter-writing, but in the midst of things he took time to report to Howells an amusing incident of one of their entertainments. To W. D. Howells in America. London, July 3, 99. Dear Howells, I've a lot of things to write you, but it's no use. I can't get time for anything these days. I must break off and write a postscript to Canon Wilberforce before I go to bed. This afternoon he left the luncheon party half an hour ahead of the rest, and carried off my hat, which has Mark Twain in a big hand written in it. When the rest of us came out, there was but one hat that would go on my head. It fitted exactly, too. So wore it away. It had no name in it, but the canon was the only man who was absent. I wrote him a note at 8 p.m. saying that for four hours I had not been able to take anything that did not belong to me, nor a stretch of fact beyond the frontiers of truth, and my family were getting alarmed. Could he explain my trouble? And now, at 8.30 p.m., comes a note from him to say that all the afternoon 
he has been exhibiting a wonder compelling mental vivacity and grace of expression etc etc and have i missed a hat our letters have crossed yours ever mark news came of the death of robert ingersoll clemens had been always one of his most ardent admirers and a warm personal friend to ingersoll's niece he sent a word of heartfelt sympathy to miss eva farrell in new york thirty wellington court albert gate dear miss farrell except my daughters i have not grieved for any death as i have grieved for his his was a great and beautiful spirit he was a man all man from his crown to his foot soles my reverence for him was deep and genuine i prized his affection for me and returned it with usury sincerely yours s l clemens clemens and family decided to spend the summer in sweden at sauna in order to avail themselves of osteopathic treatment as practiced by heinrich kellgren kellgren's method known as the swedish movements seemed to mark twain a wonderful cure for all ailments and he heralded the discovery far and wide he wrote to friends far and near advising them to try kellgren for anything they might happen to have whatever its beginning any letter was likely to close with some mention of the new panacea to rev j h twitchell traveling in europe sana september six ninety nine dear joe i've no business in here i ought to be outside i shall never see another sunset to begin with it this side of heaven venice land what a poor interest that is this is the place to be i have seen about sixty sunsets here and a good forty of them were clear and away beyond anything i had ever imagined before for dainty and exquisite and marvelous beauty and infinite change and variety america italy the tropics they have no notion of what a sunset ought to be and this one this unspeakable wonder it discounts all the rest it brings the tears it is so unutterably beautiful if i had time i would say a word about this curative system here the people actually do several of the great things the christian scientists pretend to do you wish to advise with a physician about it certainly there is no objection he knows next to nothing about his own trade but that will not embarrass him in framing a verdict about this one i respect your superstitions we all have them it would be quite natural for the cautious chinaman to ask his native priest to instruct him as to the value of the new religious specialty which the western missionary is trying to put on the market before investing in it he would get a verdict love to you all always yours mark Howells wrote that he was going on a reading tour, dreading it, of course, and asking for any advice that Clemens felt qualified to give. Naturally, Clemens gave him the latest he had in stock, without realizing, perhaps, that he was recommending an individual practice which few would be likely to imitate. Nevertheless, what he says is interesting. 
to w d howells in america sana sweden september twenty sixth ninety nine dear howells get your lecture by heart it will pay you i learned a trick in vienna by accident which i wish i had learned years ago i meant to read from a tauschnitz because i knew i hadn't well memorized the pieces and i came on with the book and read a few sentences then remembered that the sketch needed a few words of explanatory introduction and so lowering the book and now and then unconsciously using it to gesture with i talked the introduction and it happened to carry me into the sketch itself and then i went on pretending that i was merely talking extraneous matter and would come to the sketch presently it was a beautiful success i knew the substance of the sketch and the telling phrases of it and so the throwing of the rest of it into informal talk as i went along limbered it up and gave it the snap and go and freshness of an impromptu i was to read several pieces and i played the same game with all of them and always the audience thought i was being reminded of outside things and throwing them in and was going to hold up the book and begin on the sketch presently and so i always got through the sketch before they were entirely sure that it had begun i did the same thing in budapest and had the same good time over again it's a new dodge and the best one that was ever invented try it you'll never lose your audience not even for a moment their attention is fixed and never wavers and that is not the case where one reads from book or manuscript or where he stands up without a note and frankly exposes the fact by his confident manner and smooth phrasing that he is not improvising but reciting from memory and in the heat of telling a thing that is memorized in substance only one flashes out the happiest suddenly begotten phrases every now and then try it such a phrase has a life and sparkle about it that twice as good a one could not exhibit if prepared beforehand and it fetches an audience in such an enthusing and inspiring and uplifting way that that lucky phrase breeds another one sure your september installment their silver wedding journey was delicious every word of it you haven't lost any of your splendid art callers have arrived with love mark yes wrote howells if i were a great histrionic artist like you i would get my poor essays by heart and recite them but being what i am i should do the thing so lifelessly that i had better recognize their deadness frankly and read them from vienna clemens had contributed to the cosmopolitan then owned by john brisbane walker his first article on christian science it was a delicious bit of humor and found such enthusiastic appreciation that walker was moved to send an additional two hundred dollar check in payment for it this brought prompt acknowledgment to john brisbane walker in irvington new york london october nineteen ninety nine dear mr walker by gracious but you have a talent for making a man feel proud and good to say a compliment well is a high art and few possess it you know how to do it and when you confirm its sincerity with a handsome check 
the limit is reached and compliment can no higher go i like to work for you when you don't approve an article you say so recognizing that i am not a child and can stand it and when you approve an article i don't have to dicker with you as if i raised peanuts and you kept a stand i know i shall get every penny the article is worth you have given me very great pleasure and i thank you for it sincerely yours s l clemens word to howells of the good luck which now seemed to be coming his way the joan of arc introduction was the same that to-day appears in his collected works under the title of st joan of arc to w d howells in new york london october nineteen ninety nine dear howells my it's a lucky day of the sort when it never rains but it pours i was to write an introduction to a nobler book the english translation of the official record on a bridge of the trials and rehabilitation of joan of arc and make a lot of footnotes i wrote the introduction in sweden and here a few days ago i tore loose from a tale i'm writing and took the manuscript book and went at the grind of note-making a fearful job for a man not used to it this morning brought a note from my excellent friend murray a rich englishman who edits the translation saying never mind the notes we'll make the translators do them that was comfort and joy the same mail brought a note from canon wilberforce asking me to talk joan of arc in his drawing-room to the dukes and earls and m p s which would fetch me out of my seclusion and into print and i couldn't have that and so of course i must run down to the abbey and explain and lose an hour just then came murray and said leave that to me i'll go and do the explaining and put the thing off three months you write a note and tell em i'm coming which i did later wilberforce carried off my hat from a lunch party last summer and in today's note he said he wouldn't steal my new hat this time in my note i said i couldn't make the drawing-room talk now murray would explain and added a p s you mustn't think it is because i'm afraid to trust my hat in your reach again for i assure you upon honor it isn't i should bring my old one i had suggested to murray a fortnight ago that he get some big guns to write introductory monographs for the book miss x joan's voices and prophecies the lord chief justice of england the legal prodigies which she performed before her judges lord roberts her military genius kipling her patriotism and so on when he came this morning he said he had captured miss x that lord roberts and kipling were going to take hold and see if they could do monographs worthy of the book he hadn't run the others to cover yet but was on their track very good news it is a grand book and is entitled to the best efforts of the best people as for me i took pains with my introduction and i admit that it is no slouch of a performance then i came down to chato's and found your all too beautiful letter and was lifted higher than ever 
next came letters from america properly glorifying my christian science article in the cosmopolitan and one roundly abusing it and a letter from john brisbane walker enclosing two hundred dollars additional pay for the article he had already paid enough but i didn't mention that which wasn't right of me for this is the second time he has done such a thing whereas gilda has done it only once and no one else ever i make no prices with walker and gilda i can trust them and last of all came a letter from m how i do wish that man was in hell even the briefest line from that idiot puts me in a rage but on the whole it has been a delightful day and with m in hell it would have been perfect but that will happen and i can wait ah if i could look into the inside of people as you do and put it on paper and invent things for them to do and say and tell how they said it i could write a fine and reasonable book now for i've got a prime subject i've written thirty thousand words of it and satisfied myself that the stuff is there so i'm going to discard that manuscript and begin all over again and have a good time with it oh i know how you feel i've been in hell myself you are there tonight by a difference in time you are at luncheon now and not eating it nothing is so lonesome as gadding around platforming i have declined forty-five lectures to-day england and scotland i wanted the money but not the torture good luck to you and repentance with love to all of you mark end of section forty recording by james k white chula vista